Welcome to Wiregrass Daily News Sports. This is your daily look at sports in the Wiregrass and the Southeast. Dothan Wolves on 96.9, the legend producer Philip Jordan breaks the news, covers the games, and talks to experts in the Wiregrass and Southeast. And now, Philip Jordan. What's up, everybody? Welcome into Wiregrass Daily News Sports. I am your host, Philip Jordan, the in studio host and producer for Dutch Wolves Football on 96.9 The Legend. Happy Thursday, everybody. We're getting closer and closer to the weekend, which means we're getting closer and closer to some football. And that's always, always a good thing. On today's show, I'll be joined by Bill Bender. He's a national college football writer for the Sporting News. Been chatting with Bill for years, uh, probably since the first Clemson-Alabama national championship game. That's how long me and Bill have been doing this, having him on from time to time to talk all things college football. So we'll we'll look at college football from a national standpoint, but we'll jump into Alabama, the SEC, and Florida State as well. Good 16-minute conversation with Bill coming up. And after that, we'll look at some headlines. The Atlanta Braves got another close victory over Chicago Cubs. Nick Saban talking about NIL, and we'll look at the latest high school football rankings. But before we do all that, let you guys know you can find me in the podcast and find me at social media at PJordanSEC. You can listen to the podcast over at wiregrassdailynews.com or wherever you get your podcast. If you're on Apple Podcasts, please follow, rate, and review. Leave a review. I will read it on a future edition of the show. And if you leave just four stars, you are just a straight-up hater. You can also email me at sportstallfieldjordan at gmail.com. Now let's go around college football with Bill Bender. Everybody joining me on today's show is a longtime uh, visitor, guest of all the many podcasts I've done over the years, and that is Bill Bender, National College Football Writer for the Sporting News. You can check him out on the CFB Nation podcast as well. And uh, Bill, as always, I appreciate the time. Hey, Philip. Good to talk to you, man. Thanks for having me on. Oh, yeah. Glad to have you on. Glad to... Uh, have you on talk all things college football it's been an interesting uh, season so far we're four weeks in just you know this is kind of like a, a grand scope you know a, a large canvas of things to ask you but uh what's been your initial thoughts on the season what's really been sticking out to you no we've had great games i mean obviously Dion has taken up a lot of the oxygen and not him i mean just the colorado story has over the first month of the season i think that's been huge. Uh, there's been some great games. Uh, three great games really set the tone for the month. Uh, LSU, Florida State, uh, Alabama, Texas, and Ohio State, Notre Dame. And, and I think each one got a little bit better as we went along. And we had talked about those in the summer. And the fact that all three games not only lived ex- up to expectations, but have kind of shaped the playoff picture from there, um, pretty cool to see. Yeah, I think the cool thing with with the Dion part of it with Colorado is it's brought college football in front of eyeballs that may have hadn't been watching before. Maybe they're just pro football fans, but they know what Dion Sanders was and just his you know his personality, very charismatic, and bringing more eyeballs. And we've seen it with the TV ratings with the Colorado Colorado State game. You know, in the past that you wouldn't have seen that many people watch that game. So I think that's obviously a positive for college football that what he's bringing to the sport. Yeah, and it's like you said, it brought some casuals. It it, it brought another. It, it's put Dion in front of another generation of fans. I mean, I, I was telling 
been telling radio stations for the past two weeks, you know, I, I took my son and one of his buddies, Weston, to practice football practice the other night, and I'm telling them about Dion, and I was explaining him as the player as I was like, well, just picture the fastest guy on the field that's the best defensive player, and oh, in the summertime when he's he, you know, he's supposed to be training, he's out playing Major League Baseball and stealing 40 bases. It was, uh, and, and now we're seeing that phenomenon as a coach. I think he's been great for the sport. I think it's driven some interest. It's created some side effects, which we can get into, like the, the coaches that are talking more smack than usual. But uh, um, I don't think that's Dion's fault. I think he's always carried himself as a supremely confident person. Nothing's changed on that regard. Yeah, I told him I was a player. I remember watching him play, too. It was basically when he was in his prime, you did not throw to his side of the field. Unless you wanted to get intercepted, he could very well take it all the way back. Uh, and with that, too, yeah, it's been interesting with coaches, stuff they have said. And I remember going into the Colorado State game. I was talking to some buddies, Bill, and I saw what uh, Jay Norville said. I thought, oh, no, you didn't. That just added to the to the game, which, you know, it was a great game, double overtime. And then we saw what Dan Lanning said, you know, the pregame, you know, had the cameras there in the locker room. Uh, what, what's been your take on the, kind of the coaches kind of with the trash talk kind of back toward him well uh, so dan lanning norvell was that was one where yeah dion was going to take that and run with it because yeah. it wasn't just it was a personal shot i think what dan lanning said i would have said everything that he said in front of my team no, no doubt to get them going before a game um but i probably would have kept the cameras off but that's the world we're living in. Like I said, it's a side effect. I mean, last weekend, whether it was Dan Lanning or Ryan Day after the Notre Dame game or uh, Jake Dickert, who took some Lee Corso comments out of context, that these coaches are airing out. They're taking it personal. That's become trendy. I don't know if that's a good thing long term because I always say, if you're going to talk trash and, and bring those kind of things up and act like that when you win – you better be ready to be criticized even more when you lose. And and that's somebody, some people may say that's an old man, like, you know, get off my lawn type way, but that's my right to have that outlook as well. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Oh, and just, uh, you know, looking at the game you were at Saturday night, uh, the Ohio state uh, Notre Dame game, just the, uh, the atmosphere. We had some, some former coach, Hall of Fame coach Lou Holtz and Ryan Day from chirping too in that one. It kind of it's a good transition into this one, but overall the game very physical football game, seventeen to fourteen win from Ohio State. Just the atmosphere and just your overall takes on being there on Saturday night. Yeah, it was fun. It was awesome. It was a great scene. It was uh, you know Notre Dame obviously was one play away from the biggest program win in thirty years, and that stadium was what ready to erupt. But Ohio State kind of the game and not not yeah, they earned it it's not like they did anything cheap but then the story instead of Kyle McCord leading this drive or um the defense looking really good against Sam Hartman or trip chip train with a gut or Ryan Day's gutsy call it all became right Dan Lou Holtz and that took a little bit away from the game I think uh because the story became Ryan Day going after Lou Holtz and everything else, which, I mean, there's so many critics on these talk shows anymore that imagine if Nick Saban went after any everybody and anybody that's criticized him over since 2007, it'd be a pretty long list. That would have been a long list the week before the old Miss game. <laughs> right. 
and he and he answered that. So I, I like I said, I mean, no, the the thing that Lou Holt did though, and, and I have less of a problem with what Ryan Day said is he called him by name. So like whenever somebody criticizes you by name, uh, it's your right to respond. And he did, and it's created a lot of things. I think the story's blown out of control because we're on like day four watch of what will Ryan Day say back to Lou Holtz, which we'll probably have to wait till next week because Ohio State is on a bye week this week. And uh, let's talk about quarterback Kyle McCord. Uh, he was 21 to 37, 240. Um, had the big pass to get him down to the one-yard line before they eventually did score and win the game. Uh, just what's been your take on him in that game and just this season, of course, replacing uh, C.J. Stroud? I mean, gutty performance because it got got them down to the goal line and made the necessary plays when they needed them. And obviously that was huge. So I thought played well in the clutch. It wasn't always pretty. It, hasn't, it isn't always pretty with Kyle McCord. And, you know, it's – but I, I've told people, so you, all these first-round quarterbacks from Ohio State, well, the last three Ohio State quarterbacks to win a national championship are Craig Krenzel, well, Rex Kern in 1968 – Craig Krenzel in 2002, and uh, Cardell Jones, who replaced J.T. Barrett, neither of whom really played in the NFL for that long. So it doesn't have to be glamorous. And for Kyle McCord, they, it was a big win on the road in his first top ten start on the road, and uh, got the job done. So it, it, that's that's what it comes down to. Fourth down throw was huge. Throw to Mecca Buka was huge, or Buka was huge. He got he made the throws in crunch time and on third down, and that's what matters. Yeah, and how about Notre Dame? You know, with them, Sam Hartman. I mean, it just it feels like a different team with this Notre Dame team, and that would have been huge. You know, you mentioned uh, how long it's been since they've had a win that big for Notre Dame. Probably would have been perception changing for them. But you look at them the rest of the year with Sam Hartman, the quarterback. Or where, where do you see them? And they got to take care of business this week. The pretty good Duke team with mm-hmm. Riley Leonard that they're facing, and so there's no time. You know what happened last year? They lose to Marshall and. You know, they're out of the playoff race in two weeks. Uh, it would not be good for them to be knocked out of the playoff race on September 30th in Marcus Freeman's second season, given how high and and where this program kind of stood. So, yeah, I mean, this is a huge game. And Duke comes in with a ton of momentum. Mike Elko has done a fantastic job there in the last two seasons. And there's a lot on the line. So it will be interesting to see how Notre Dame comes out. Do they take care of another ACC team like they normally do, or do they struggle, have a hangover, and allow that little window for an upset, which would be the biggest month in Duke history if they could beat uh, Clemson and Notre Dame in the same month. Yeah, they, they may officially call themselves a football school if that happens over a basketball <laughs> school if that happens on that one. Uh, Alabama, and we kind of mentioned them a little bit, winning 2014 overall miss, and, you know, of course, and I'm down here. It was it was all doom and gloom uh, after the Texas game and then the way they looked against South Florida. A lot of Alabama fans were, were worried, but uh, they, they looked like Alabama to a degree, defense and running the ball. But what's been your take on Alabama so far this season? The quarterback – thing is withstanding but the defense was the story last week you know when you get five sacks and 10 tackles for loss and everybody just wants to pile the dirt on Alabama they want them to be done because it's fashionable and they want this dynasty over with and they're not really a dynasty at this point I mean the dynasty's happened but they're still a competitive team I think 
they could still compete and win for the SEC West and get to Atlanta and get a shot at Georgia. I think, you know, the Texas game exposed some ills from last season that have carried over, and, you know, Bryce Young was able to cure that. Now, whether Jalen Milrow can do the same over the next couple months remains to be seen. But they did have an impressive win last week. I think they'll win this weekend. And then from there, you know, they win at Texas A&M. The tough ones will be at home, LSU and Tennessee. Those will be the next two kind of defining games for Nick Saban. And whether or not he can – I think they're fully capable of going 11-1. and one, But I just think LSU is a little bit better team right now. Yeah, I was about to ask you about that with, with LSU and Alabama. You still – is that till the two teams there in the West in your mind? Yeah, and – you know, obviously LSU plays that Ole Miss this weekend, and that viewpoint could change because LSU was the other team that had kind of a, not a kind of a, second out meltdown against Florida State. Didn't look great against Arkansas last weekend, but survived and got the win. And here we go. They they get into the Ole Miss game, and I still think they're the team most likely to beat a Georgia. Now, whether or not they do it, I don't know. But uh, I think with Jaden Daniels, the talent around him, Malik Neighbors, that defense, but they would be the best position team to give Georgia a run in that SEC championship environment if it happens. Yeah, it's been quite interesting with the SEC because the first couple of weeks, the, the record against other Power Five wasn't great. Um, what's been your viewpoint on the SEC so far? Do you think this is a down year for the SEC? That, that's been out there by some people. Well, I mean, there's no other conclusion you can draw. I mean, when you lose so far, I mean, that doesn't mean it has to be like that all year, but when Florida State gets beat by LSU and Texas A&M gets beat by Miami and Alabama gets beat by Texas, those are the most visible games the conference has had, and they've lost. Um, you know, unless you're hanging your hat on a non-conference win like Missouri beating Kansas State, which was a nice win for the Tigers, but that's not one that's going to get a lot of glamour. Um mm-hmm. But all that said, it won't matter if Georgia holds up trophy. So, you yeah. know, as we get into the one thing the SEC should pay attention to, you know, and might be a more of a long-term concern, if you look at the top ten right now, um, three Big Ten teams, all very good, three teams coming to the Big Ten in Washington, Oregon, and USC. So, you know, that's an interesting stat to me. Yeah, you know, how bad is it, the, the Pac-12 their final year, basically, <laughs> of playing, and they're probably having one of their best years. They have a great group of teams there with USC, Oregon. They've had the, the storylines with you know Colorado, which, of course, they're going to the Big 12. It's just kind of – it's funny and kind of not funny at the same time. Yeah, I mean, it's sad because yeah. had this conference just held up for one more year, we, we would have a lot more Big 12 football. And, or, uh, and quarterback play has been phenomenal. Mm-hmm. You know, uh, Cameron Ward is like fourth in pass rating in the conference, and he's been phenomenal. So I think that's something to keep in mind. Um, there's going to be a lot of good Pac-12 games in October and November, starting with Washington and Oregon on October 7th. That's going to be an absolutely great game uh, this weekend. Colorado, USC. I mean, Shador and Caleb Williams on the same field. That's going to attract a lot of attention. So. It is sad that they won't have a conference next year, but it, it, at the same time, you can enjoy what they have this year. It's going to be really fun to watch this play out. 
Yeah, it is. And, you know, and finally, I wanted to talk to you a little bit about the Florida State Seminoles. Of course, they have. We talked about them uh, when I had you on when we talked in the offseason. Those two big games against LSU and Clemson. Well, they went 2-0. and They're 4-0. and uh, I know Mike Norvell said on Tuesday that we're 4-0, and but we haven't had a complete game or played our best game yet. And, Bill, you kind of look ahead at their schedule. I mean, they have Duke coming to Tallahassee on uh, October 21st, and then later on they'll have a home game in November against Miami. But uh, when you look at this team, I wouldn't say they have an easy path to the ACC to be undefeated, but they're on a good track. Uh, just what are your thoughts on Florida State going to the bye week and the rest of their season? I mean, they'll have a test down the road, but at least they're at home, Duke, home game. Uh, you know, like you said, the other North Carolina home, and then at the end of the year at Florida, I mean, so they're or Miami at home. And then the end of the year at Florida, I mean, they, they passed the test. I mean, no other team had two big wins like that in September. So, I, yeah, I mean, they're definitely a team worth watching. I think they'll have, you could lightly pencil them in, but there's a long way to go in the ACC. There's still a lot of competitive teams in that conference. Yeah, you know, and you know, before I let you go on on the ACC, when you look at now, you look at Clemson with two losses. I mean, this, look, it's not impossible for them to get back to the ACC championship game, but it's an uphill climb, uh, and then especially with no divisions in the ACC. So, when you look at who, who do you see as that number two team? Hard to say. I mean, probably Clemson. You know, and and maybe it's Duke. Maybe maybe it's North North Carolina looks real sharp so far because they have a defense on top of and a running game to support Drake May, who has thrown a couple picks, but is still an elite quarterback in the college game. So I think they've had a complete month. They had some a really underrated month in terms of beating South Carolina, Minnesota, and App State. So I would keep an eye on the Tar Heels. Um, and they've been bonded a little bit by the whole Tez Walker situation. So, yeah, they could continue to play really well. Yeah, that's a whole other discussion on that Des Walker situation uh, with North Carolina. But uh, anyway, this has been a lot of fun, Bill, as always, uh, when I have you on the show to talk all things college football. But if the listeners uh, want to check you out, uh, where can they find you? Yeah, I'm at BillBender92 at SportingNews.com. Uh, we're getting after it. We're already in week five. This thing moved fast, but mm-hmm. we have a lot of fun covering college football. I appreciate you having me on. Oh, yeah, absolutely, Bill. I always appreciate the time, and I look forward to talking again sometime down the road. And once again, a big thank you, as always, to Bill Bender for coming on to the show. I always enjoy talking all things college football with Bill. Now let's jump around some headlines and some news going around the sports you care about here in the Wiregrass. First up, the Atlanta Braves got another close victory, a comeback victory against the Chicago Cubs. Remember? On Tuesday night, they were down 6-0, came back with 7-6. Well, they were down multiple times against the Cubs on Wednesday night. They come back from deficits of 3-1, 4-3, and 5-4 to win in 10 innings on Wednesday night. Uh, Ronald Acuna becomes first ever 40-70 player, and the Braves beat the Cubs 65 in 10 innings. Acuna has now 40 home runs, over 41 home runs on the year, 41 exactly, and he got to 70 stolen bases on the year. Ozzy Albies drove in Acuna with a 10, 10th inning single that clinched home field advantage for the NL for the Atlanta Braves. Uh, Acuna drove in the tie and run in the 10th and stole second for his second still of the night. So big, big win for the Atlanta Braves coming back and defeating the Cubs to get their 102nd win of the season, clinching home field advantage throughout the NL. 
And talking about Ozzy Albies, he also hit a solo home run in the first to get a Braves a 1-0 lead. So they went down the entire time. But the Atlanta Braves with another close and uh, impressive victory. And for the Cubs, they are now tied uh, for the third and final wild card spot in the NL. All right, let's jump into high school football next. The latest rankings were put out on Wednesday. In 7A, uh, local teams, Dothan comes in at number seven. Enterprise, they are at eight. Dothan's opponent this Friday night, Baker, comes in at nine. And the teams in Dothan's region, Auburn is at number three. Central Phoenix City is at number two. In 5A, we don't have a 6A team here in the Wiregrass, but in 5A, local teams, Charles Henderson at two and two, they come in at number eight. In 4A, Andalusia sits at top at number one at five and oh on the season. In 3A, we have Houston Academy at 4-0 at 7, and then Strawn also 4-0. They are ranked number 8. In 2A, no ranked teams out of 2A, but Cottonwood received votes at 14. If there was a top 11, Cottonwood would be number 11. In 1A, Leroy is number 1. Elba comes in at number 2 at 4-0. Brantley's not in the top 10, but they did receive votes. Now, let's look ahead to the schedule for uh, Week 5. It actually gets kicked off on Thursday night. Uh, three and two Brantley will be at five and oh Highland home. Now this is a week in the season where everybody goes non-region. So there's not, there's no region matchups on this week on Friday night. Of course, you'll be able to listen to this game on 96.9. The legend as the four and one Dothan Wolves travel to take on the five and oh Baker Hornets. Pell city at one and three will be at three and two. Ufala. two and two. Charles Henderson will be at four and one St. James three, one Headland will be at two and two Pike County. 1-3 Rehoboth will be at 2-3 Op. 5-0 Bibb County will be at 5-0 Andalusia. 1-4 Dale County will be at 3-1 GW Long. 1-4 Geneva will be at 0-4 Geneva County. 1-3 Slocum will be at 1-4 Ashford. 1-4 Delville will be at 1-3 Barber County. 4-0 Strong will be at 2-3 Ayrton. I think that should be a good game. Abbeville at 1-4 will be at 4-0 Houston Academy. 3-2 Goshen will be at 1-3 Kinston. 4-0 Elba will be at 3-1 Providence Christian. Pike Liberal Arts at 0-3 will be at FAMU, Florida High School. And then in AISA, Sparta Academy 0-5 will be at Abbeville Christian, who is also 0-5. So both teams there will be looking to get their first victory of the season. And that is your look at the high school football rankings and this week's Week 5 schedule in the Wiregrass. And last piece of news we're going to go over here today. Nick Saban did meet with the media for the final time before Alabama takes on a Mississippi State this Saturday, which will be 8 o'clock over on ESPN. Late night, some SEC after dark for us this week. He talked about linebacker Deontay Lawson and Terrence Ferguson guard. Uh, Both are very questionable. Both guys were unable to practice today, which that was on Wednesday. Of course, Lawson is dealing with ankle injury, and then Ferguson is uh, dealing with an injury as well. Uh, Saban got asked about the wide receivers. He said they've played well at times, but need more consistency. We need to develop confidence in terms of playing together. Uh, that's on the quarterbacks and the wide receivers. Yeah, he's right. I mean, that's one thing, you know, staying consistent with Milrow and receivers, because that was a big question for me coming to the season with Alabama was how would the receivers do that? I didn't know that Alabama's pass protection would have issues, but also with the receivers building it up because look, Alabama got used to having NFL wide receivers out there for a good four or five years 
the receiver position, they are talented players, but they're not the level that those guys are at. So that was a big thing there. Now, Nick Saban was asked if he's been approached uh, by prospects on NIL, which that's a whole deal with what's coming out of Ohio State. You should go check that out. But uh, Nick Saban said, not that I know of. I don't know of anybody that has asked for that. But look, name, image, and likeness is not really name, image, and likeness. I think we all understand what's become and what we allowed it to become. I said long ago, and I got very criticized, as this is what we want college football, football to become. So it's becoming what it's becoming. And that's okay. I mean, we'll just adapt and do what we have to do to compete, whatever the circumstances are. Do I think that it would be judicious to have some guardrails on some things? I think you can figure that one out just as well as anybody else. Yeah, Nick Saban, is all, he's been very vocal about some of his comments on what, when it comes to NIL along with some other coaches. And most coaches would say guardrails are needed. Uh, but you can also look at where Nick Saban's coming from. Is it really name, image, or likeness, or is it pay for play? And uh, look, I'll let you decide that. You could hit me up on P. Jordan SEC. What do you think? I think it's a little bit of both. I'm all for players being able to benefit off their name, image, and likeness. But I also am wanting some guardrails, too. I think they need to make it fair across the board because you could have some situation where maybe one player X over here for such and such team is getting this much money, then another player on the other side over here, they're not getting anything. I think that's kind of – and I think that can create some locker room issues uh, if not kept in check. So that's my biggest thing with this. So – I'm kind of on the same uh, page with Nick Saban here. I don't think Nick Saban's against name, image, and likeness. I don't think he ever has been. But I uh, also do think, you know, he has issues with how the way it's done. But, you know, it's, that's one thing. That's, that's a government issue. And, you know, that's probably a long ways away from ever happening because we all know. I'm not trying to get political here. Trust me, I'm not. But, you know, there's other issues going on in the world that maybe be top priority to those people than this. Uh, but also, look, prospects approaching teams for NIL, you know that's happening. Um, maybe not directly to the head coach like a Nick Saban, uh, but you know. But you know players will say, hey, what's my NIL deal going to be like? You know that's going on. So we'll see. We'll see how what the future is uh, with that. And finally, the last piece of business here on the show today. That's something I may do on Thursdays. We may do shorter guest interviews on Thursday so I can get to some comments, some questions, just some opinions you guys have anybody out there that may listen and i put out there just put hey what's your thoughts on the past weekend of college football that was the opening statement there i may do more generalized throughout the week on my facebook page philip jordan sports go check it out and i will put this up individual games i think people in the area might be have been interested in or the people follow on social media but uh, Jean McCrane, my Aunt Jean, uh, she says the SEC refs need to know which down it is. Of course, that issue with Alabama there against Ole Miss. Uh, John Reese says Auburn needs a quarterback. Quarterback is the issue with Auburn right now. Ken Hamilton, very opinionated here. Auburn and Alabama both have the worst teams they've had in at least 15 years. I say let's wait. Let's, let's wait and see what happens with that. Auburn's not playing well. I don't know if this team is worse than last year's team. Last year was pretty bad. And then also – you know, that's in the, that 15-year range. And then we're talking about the 2012 Auburn team, which was pretty bad, 0-8 in the SEC. I don't think this team goes 0-8 in the SEC. So, And for Alabama, we'll see. Um, worse for them is different worse for Auburn, obviously. But is it their worst? If they lose 
two or three games, then you can say, okay, man, it's their worst team since the 2010 team, which lost three games, which that's saying a lot. The worst team probably in 15 years at Alabama went 10 and three. <laughs> so it, it, it's, it's a lot there for Alabama. Is, it is, it's interesting. You can complain about that being a really bad year, but that's kind of, that has been their worst season in the last 15 years under Nick Saban. And that's going to do it for today's edition of the Wiregrass Daily News Sports Podcast. Thank you for making this show a part of your Thursday. We'll be back tomorrow to close out the week with the Friday lowdown. My good friend Matt Lowe from Field Level Media will be joining me as he will every Friday, and we will preview the college football weekend. We'll look at Alabama, Auburn, Troy. We'll look at the SEC, and we've got a big national game in there we're going to talk about too as well. Remember, you can follow me on social media at PJordanSEC. You can listen to the podcast over at wiregrassdailynews.com or wherever you get your podcast. If you're on Apple Podcasts, please follow, rate, and review. Leave a review. I will read it on a future edition of the show. If you just leave four stars, you are a straight-up hater. You can always email me at sports.philipjordan at gmail.com. Hope everybody has a great Thursday. I'll talk to you on Friday. Bye-bye. Thank you for tuning in to today's Wiregrass Daily News Sports. Make sure to tune back in tomorrow for more of the sports you love in the Wiregrass. Check out the podcast at wiregrassdailynews.com or wherever you get your podcasts. Continue the conversation and connect with Philip on social media at PJordanSEC.